o'clock. Amen? All right, in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, let's read a couple of verses here. It says this in John 13 and verse 1. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come and to depart from this world, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus, and Jesus knew what was taking place. And so in verse 4, he got up from the supper table, and he laid aside his robe, and he took a towel, and he tied it around himself, next and water in it, and he began to clean the feet of the disciples. Verse 12 says, And when he had cleaned their feet, he put his robe back on, he reclined again at the table. And Jesus asked them something. Look at this verse right here. He says, Do you know what I have done to you? Question mark. He's asking them a question. Do you know what just happened? And then in this passage of Scripture, it goes on, and it says, For you call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have cleaned your feet, you should clean one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do also, for as I have already done unto you. I assure you that a servant is no greater than his master, a message is no greater than the one messenger, no greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, then you are very blessed if you do them. For I'm not speaking to you, all of you, about this stuff, but I have chosen. But, but you know those I have chosen, and that the scripture might be fulfilled in the Old Testament. The one who eats with me at my with my bread has raised up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so you will know that I already knew. Now go down to verse 31. Now when he had gone out, he had finished that, and they were on their way out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Now verse 33, Children, I am with you for just a little while longer. And he says, You will look for me. Just as I told the Jews, and where I'm going, you cannot come right now. So now I tell you, a new commandment I give you, that you should love one another. Love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. You won't have to tell them you're my disciples. They will know that you are my disciples. I want to talk to you today about that one servant serving. When we look at this passage of Scripture in verse 4, Jesus gives us a great picture. It's a great snapshot, or he gives us a look at a snapshot of something in the past. Remember last week when we looked at the one man on a mission? <coughs> we uh, went back to Genesis, and we talked about how in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had partaken of the tree uh, in the middle of the garden that God told them not to. We talked about how God did not build a fence around it and tell them, you, you, I'm, there's no way you can partake. He gave them the right, the will, to either partake or not partake. Now, as we move forward in that, we know they partook of it, and we know that last week we talked about how the man on a mission was to bring back that intimacy that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day when he'd come down and do life with them and just hang out with them and visit with them. We know 
that he was on a mission to fulfill the law because man could not fulfill the law. And uh, so Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But I want to go back there because there's only one verse that it really talks about this in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3 and 21, it's interesting. It says, and God, when God saw what they had done, and they had some fig leaves tied around themselves for clothing, um, he said, boy, this is, this is insufficient. It, it, it will not work. And so God, it says God took an animal and killed it and uh, made clothes for them. Now, if that had been you and I, we'd have probably made them wear fig leaves for about six weeks. Uh, you know, go ahead and get a good punishment for them. But that's, look at what God did. God made covering for them. God made covering for them. Now, theologians have debated this a long time about the ins and outs of that. And, uh, you know, when we go back to the book of Genesis in the beginning, it says, God said, let us create man in our own image. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And he, in the world that was uh, formless and void, he spoke it into existence. And you know the creation story. And God spoke all of that into existence. But the Bible says here in this passage of Scripture that God made for them clothing. Now, this is where theologians spend a lot of time letting the world go to hell and trying to figure out the mystery of the gospel, trying to figure out did God actually get bloody and kill the animal himself or did he speak it into existence? How did it all happen? I don't know, but here's what I do know that happened. God did it. God did it. And here's what I know. He didn't say, hey, Gabriel. Boy, Adam and Eve have made a mess down there in the Garden of Eden. Would you go down there and clean that up and, and take an animal and have a, you know, let there be a sacrifice of the blood and, and, and would you make some, would you just make some clothes for them and cover them up so they would quit being embarrassed about their sin? I do know he didn't say, hey, Michael, Archangel, could you go down there and clean that mess up? Here's what I know is that the, the Father did it. The Father did it. Now stay with me. In Genesis 3, in the beginning, there was a picture of sin and God was on the scene. When there was a separation, when there was an embarrassment, when there was an undoing, what God did for them was provide a covering for their sin, a covering for their shame, a covering for their nakedness. And I want you to understand something. We go a thousands of years down the road all the way from Genesis 3 where the Father is in the middle of things where he's in the middle of the dynamic of, of providing a covering all the way to the book of John chapter 13 in verse 4 and what we see the son doing is what the father was doing. The father was providing a covering. Fast forward that dude thousands of years and guess what happened? There was a father serving. There was a father who was serving the children that he created. Yes was he above them. Yes was he the king of kings and the lord of lords yes was he the beginning and the end yes was he the one who in him all things exist and for him and by his good pleasure absolutely but what i want you to know is that god was willing to submit himself to get down there where man was that he might provide a covering are you picking up what i'm putting down right here now fast forward and john 13 and 4 and we see the son Pushing away from the dinner table. Taking a towel and girding himself. Taking a pan of water. And going low. And getting dirty. Getting his hands dirty. Now, see, what I want you to understand. 
is that a baby came to the manger to become a servant. Serving. To become a servant serving the saints. To become a servant serving the sinners. Do you realize today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that when Jesus approached the lepers, he didn't say, what nationality are you? What political affiliation are you? Are you a Pharisee? Are you a Sadducee? What tribe of Judah are you from? No, 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 no. That's not what he did. He healed them where they were. When the blind Bartimaeus came, he didn't say, what's your religious pedigree? He didn't say, have you been good since you were a boy? No, he healed him. I'm telling you today, when Lazarus was dead he resurrected him Jesus came to serve and in John 13 right before he goes back to the father the greatest picture he gives us of a portrait being painted is the picture of him putting a towel around himself assuming the lowest position in the household and beginning to clean the feet not just of his good old boys not just of Peter who could sometimes never say anything wrong and sometimes could say everything wrong not just of John the beloved who was so close to Jesus not just of Matthew or Peter or James or, or Andrew or Bartholomew no, 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 look at who was in the midst Judas was Judas was and when he got to Judas he didn't say oh boy I know what you're up to I know what you're about to do he cleaned his feet just like John the beloved when Jesus was a servant serving he was reflecting the father Our jobs as children of God this Christmas season is to reflect the Father. To reflect the Father. Regardless of ethnicity, nationality, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of where they are, Regardless of where they are in life, that we would meet them where they are. Look, I, I was talking to somebody not long ago who do, who's just having a hard time financially, doesn't have work, having a hard time paying their bills. I was talking to somebody the other day who makes an astronomical amount of money, who was in the same boat. The person who didn't have anything had was struggling to pay his bills. I want you to know that people struggle from the top to the bottom, regardless of where we come from, what our name, last names are, regardless of what our nationality are, and is. And I want you to know that Jesus loves us enough to serve us. On your best day, he came to serve you. On your worst day, he came to serve you. You saying, preacher, that Jesus came to serve? Yeah. I mean, how much lower can you get than putting a towel around yourself and getting in a dirty pan and scrubbing some nasty feet? Not only does uh, the serving servant reflect the Father's love, but what he did was he came to restore the standard. You see, religion has a, high, uh, uh, a way of hijacking the biblical principles that have been underlined. Look at this right here, if you will. The Bible says this in this passage of Scripture in verse 14. If you look at it, he, he says this. Uh, well, let's look at verse 12. And when Jesus had cleaned their feet, he, he put his robe back on, he reclined again at the table, and he said, Do you know what I've done to you? 
If I, your teacher and Lord, have cleaned your feet, then you should clean one another's feet. Because I have given you the example. And what I've done, you should do. I say to you, you are no greater than your master. And a messenger is no greater than the one who sent him. If you want to be blessed. If you look that word blessed up in the Greek, it means happy. It means fortunate. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy and you want to be fortunate, then you need to start serving. You see, he came to restore the standard in Genesis 3.21. In the beginning, Yahweh. In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, God was serving. In the end, God was serving. See, he came to restore that principle that's been hijacked. We find ourselves in peril in our nation, not because the biblical principles no longer work, but because biblical principles have been abandoned. Do you know that Jesus didn't come to do away with the commandments, but he came to fulfill them? And he says at the end of this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another only after the old commandments have been fulfilled. He came to restore. He came to, to turn on its head the worldly mindset and instill a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset is a multiplying mindset. A kingdom mindset is interesting because if you want to know if you're walking with Christ, see how much you're serving other people. Once again, he didn't say, hey, Gabriel, can you go down there and clean that mess up? Genesis 3.21 says, God made for them covering." Do you realize on their worst day, God came and he served them? Wow. Wow. I was talking to some parents the other day and about how do you serve your children? How sometimes when they do things wrong, we, we just worry about how are we going to punish them? See, it's at that point that they don't need punishment, they need discipline. And there's a big difference. See, what God was doing in the garden was disciplining them, serving them, loving them. Boy, it's, it's one thing when you've messed up. For your parents to punish you, whip you, ground you, combination of the both, I don't know. Uh, but it's another thing for them to discipline you and say, now let's, let's talk about this. How, how'd this happen? What'd you learn from it? You know, I mean, to, to, to have that fatherly, motherly conversation with them. Training them. Training them. That's what you're doing. You're training them talking to parents the other day and I mean just their, their children were in a, in a whirlwind of a situation horrific consequences were all abound and they said what should we do and I said you should love them 
They said, what should the consequences be? I said, there will be plenty of time to figure that out, but right now your kids need you to love them. I mean, they've already punished themselves just by having to deal with the consequences from their actions that are so overwhelming. I'm not saying that you should dismiss that and there should be no consequences in the future, but sometimes, sometimes children need a parent to come in and meet them where they are, and that's what God did. That's what God did. Now, later he gave them consequences, and he put cherubim in front of the garden and sent them out of the Garden of Eden and said, now you got to work by the sweat of your brow. And, and, you know, I mean, gave the, the curse to Eve and says, you'll be in pain, childbirth, and all those things. Later he dealt with that. But at that moment, at that moment when they were running and hiding, he was loving them. He was providing as a father for them. And I want you to know that when you fast forward thousands of years in John 13, there was a man who was about to betray Jesus Christ, the serving servant, and Jesus didn't skip him. Matter of fact, he gave him permission in a few chapters later. He says, Judas, what you do? Just go do it quick, son. Just go do it. Quickly do it. But he still served him. This Christmas season, many times we will do a lot, but it's for people who do for us. But you're never more like Jesus. You're never more like God than when you're serving other people. You're great servants. Man, I watch you serve all year long. Main Street Mission, week after week after week. H2O, week after week after week. English, second language, serving people. You can't even hardly communicate with them because they speak a different language. There's a barrier Serving, serving people whose worldview is hostile to Christianity, you're loving them. Serving people who struggle to read, teaching them to read. Struggling, serving people who are struggling with addiction through Celebrate Recovery. Serving people, serving people, serving people. You are glorifying. I know a lot of times you look around and you get discouraged and you say, are we really making a difference? The answer is yes. Yes, God doesn't call us to serve and our service affect the outcome. He calls us to serve even when we know that their serving will yield unprofitable fruit. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew Judas would be the one to sell him out. But he still served him. He still loved him. I remember when we, I first started my first mission probably about 15 years ago where we would feed the homeless and clothes and all those things and had a lady in the church and, and uh, she, she lived in the neighborhood where it was happening and she got mad. I mean, she is what you would call a, a super saint, I guess, in her own opinion. And uh, uh, she said, I just can't believe you're bringing these people in my neighborhood. And then one day she come up to me and she said, we had this, where they had to get qualified, you know, you had to meet these standards, you know, to get the food and stuff. 
And she said, they lying to you. They lying to you. They manipulating the system. And I said, it's our responsibility to do due diligence. It's not our responsibility to hire private investigators and make sure. If she can live with it, I promise you God can multiply it. God called us to be faithful. God called us to be faithful when people are taking advantage of us. God called us to be faithful and serve people when they cannot give anything back in return. God called us to love unconditionally and Jesus set the example from being a baby in a manger to a boy in transition to a man on a mission to in the last days of his life to be one savior serving one servant serving one servant embodying the the very countenance of God the essence of God the love of God the mercy of God the compassion of God that he might seek and to save those which are lost well, let me wrap this thing up. Last of all, not only do we see him restoring the standard, but he reveals the purpose. The whole purpose of this main foot cleansing opportunity is found in verse 31. That the Son of God might be glorified. Look at this verse. The Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. And if God is glorified in Him, then God will also glorify Him in Himself and will glorify Him at once. Stop right there. Now, look at this. It's kind of like a little tongue twister there, huh? It's a whole lot of glory in a little bitty verse. <clears throat> Stay with me one moment here. You remember uh, when Jesus was a a young man on a mission, Mary came to him and said, Son, we've got a crisis. We have run out of wine. She said, you got to do something. And uh, he said, uh, Mom, the hour has not yet come that the son should be glorified. But being a good son anyway, he turns some water into wine and... Uh, Baptists have been trying to turn wine into water ever since. And uh, here's what he said. He said, Mom, the, the hour's not yet come. And, and several times in the Bible, that phrase is re repeated. I, I'm a man, I'm a, I'm a boy in transition. I'm a man on a mission. I, I'm a man on a mission to fulfill the law, not to, not to, complete the glorification of the father i'm on a mission i'm on a journey then 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 in 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 john there's a there's a passage of scripture and it's the only place in the bible you'll find this uh there were some greeks who came and wanted to see jesus i think it's john 12 and uh um he he says the hour has come and he turned at that moment and faced jerusalem and and he didn't go see those greeks the hour had come, the season, the transition had happened. And now, for the first time, get this, get this, get this, get this. For the first time, you got to lean in just a minute. Come on, lean in here. For the first time, he says, the Son 
has been glorified. The son was glorified when he was down in the wash basin, cleaning the dirty feet. He got up from that event, and he says, guys, you know everybody's been wanting the son to be glorified? Now, the son has glorified the father. Because Jesus was never more like the father than when he was serving people who had failed him. Lean in, because that's some Merry Christmas right there going around. He served Adam and Eve when they failed him. He served Judas when he would betray him. He served them. And he ser- now, oh, oh my, wait a minute. What does that mean? Do you, do you, you're never more like God than when you are in the position of a servant serving people who can't do anything for you, serving people who are against you, serving people who have betrayed you, serving people who have abandoned you, serving people who curse your God, when you're serving, when you're serving, when you're serving. We think if we can get a big, big, big building, God will be glorified. God is glorified, not in the temple made by hand, the one that has not been made with hands. And did you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? The Bible says in Romans that you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, and with your strength. Walking out of that, don't you know that was a somber moment? Get this and I'm done. Can you imagine that experience, walking out of that setting, just having the Son of God, the one who walked on water, the one who called Lazarus from the tomb, and he came up. That guy is now cleaning your nasty feet. I mean, come on, you understand Peter's comment in these earlier verses when he said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Let me do yours. Can you imagine them walking out of that room, humbled, going through this? I'm telling you, there's never a more humbling moment than somebody clean your nasty feet. And Jesus turns and says, hey, guys, y'all been looking for the glory? Now the son of... Get the weight of... I got to wrap this thing up, but feel the weight of it. You remember when Pete, Jim, and John was up on the mountain of transfiguration? And Jesus was so illuminated they couldn't hardly look upon him. And Moses appeared there. And Elijah appeared there. And a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It wasn't that moment. It was that Jesus said, Now I'm glorifying the Father. No, no. It was this moment when he rose up from the lowest position and said, Now. Now you've been looking. You've been wondering when it would happen. Now is when the Son of God is glorified. And he served them at that moment. And he served them in Pilate's hall. And he served him when served humanity when they scourged him. And they served humanity all the way down the Via Della Rosa. And he served humanity when they put him on the cross. And that's next week's message, so I'll move on.
he came to serve. A baby in a manger was born to glorify God by serving a bunch of knuckle-headed people called humans who were born and destined to break his heart. Wow. That's the purpose. And then he says, hey guys, oh by the way, a new commandment I give you. Since you don't have to worry about fulfilling that old one because I'm taking care of that, I'm going to leave you with just one. Not ten, just one. Go and love one another. And when you're loving one another, people will those old boys must be disciples of Jesus. And that's why in Antioch they started calling them Christians. Because everywhere they went, they looked like Jesus. And then he really confused us in Romans 12, and he says, oh, by the way, it's your reasonable service. It's not too much to ask for you to serve, for you to honor the Father. Today, there's some of you in this building. The greatest way for you to honor the Father is to give your heart to him. You may have been going through religious experiences, denomination after denomination, experience after experience, and today you've been trying to figure out how can I honor the Father? How can I honor the Father? How can I honor the Father who blessed me with life and a family? The greatest way to honor the Father is to give Him maybe the only thing He don't have, and that's your heart. And to say, Jesus, I want you to live in my heart, my life. Second way you may honor the Father today is maybe you've done that. But boy, maybe life has sucked the joy right out of that spiritual relationship. The world has been hell-bent on sending you down a different direction. And maybe today you need to pray a prayer like this and say, Lord, I know I'm your child. And Lord, I know I have messed some stuff up. Lord, I know I've been going everywhere but to you. And today I realize how much you love me. That you came not only to save me, but Lord, you came and served humanity. And then maybe you're here today and, man, you've just been struggling. You know you're right with God. But boy, God has had his thumb in your back. And, man, he's been pressing you to get out of your comfort zone, to get out of your box and get in that next level of ministry. And, uh, man, you just can't seem to let go and embrace what God has for you. Maybe it's your new year. Maybe it's your new day to embrace what God is doing in your life. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I don't know what you're up to, God, but I know you're up to something, Lord, in everyone's life. Lord, and I pray that today you'll begin to move. Lord, I pray you'll begin to speak. And we'll begin to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.